Welcome to Ono, oh Ross, and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on for science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And we have a special guest with us today, Jaron Campanella, aka Jaronism. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Do you prefer just being called Jaron when someone is talking to you? Very much so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, how you came to Flat Earth, and uh, where Jaronism came from. Sure, yeah, because I noticed that uh, when you guys reviewed my speech, Carrie said at the beginning that uh, she didn't like the name. I don't oh, really like it. Of, well, of I don't... ism? See, I don't even remember what I said, because <laughs> because it sounds like a philosophy. <laughs> right. Right. And, that, and, you know, going back to when I first made my channel, I obviously had no intent on ever reaching a certain number of people. And it just meant like a me-ism. And the reason for that was, you know, all these religions that I was looking into at the time, because I grew up Catholic, and I married a Christian, a very Bible-believing Christian, and her family was into creating churches and, and making these huge fellowships and simulcasting at different places. I had a problem with all these religions, and so when I kind of uh, ditched religion, I became someone who said, you know, I want to prove things for myself. So that's where I just said, oh, I'm going to call it Jaronism. Looking back, I would change that if I could, but at this point, I guess it's going to have to um, remain. So it wasn't by design to be like, oh, this will be, because now <laughs> people see that and they kind of think of it as like a religion. I'm like, no, that's the complete opposite of what I want. <laughs> sure. So you said you grew up Catholic and then married a Christian. Uh, is, are you still married to that person? Yep. Yep. Still okay. married. Okay, cool. But you said you kind of left religion. Does that mean you're no longer a believer? Correct. Well, oh. a believer in um, religions, no. Okay. Yeah, you kind of mentioned that you first went to the scientific community. That was your first transition. But then you started asking questions about the globe. Is that kind of how it went? <clears throat> yeah, what really happened was, yeah, we ditched. It was hard to do. You know, I admit that it was hard to do because you're taught as a child that uh, anything coming from outside of the church is from Satan. Mm -hmm. So it, it becomes a very uh, hard thing for an individual to do, which is to say, well, you know, and it took really just saying if God is, is who they say he is and everything, then I'm going to be able to check outside of this, and I will come back. Um, we both you know, get that. We're both yeah. former Christians ourselves. Oh, okay, good. So I didn't know that. And, I, and by the way, I love your guys' podcast. Uh, I showed my wife uh, the other day, and she was like so happy with it too because a lot of what you guys talk about are things that we had to go through um, to realize that there, you know, anybody who believes in supernatural or things like that. I mean, there's not even a case of someone who in the next room can dictate a number that somebody's mm -hmm. writing down in the room next to you. So, yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, that tells you that things like that just don't happen. Uh, if they did, we would see so much more of it. But what we did is we, I remember laying in bed and we prayed to God that, hey, can we have a year to look for you? And if we find you, we will come back to you. So yeah. during that year, um, huh. I we, had the exact we, same conversation. I, I love it. That's great. Yeah. So during that year, that next year, it was maybe four or five months in that reading the Bible all over again and just really opening myself up to other possibilities is when I saw a church as a very much or religion as very much of a control mechanism. I started to see the the way the world is, is almost a result of the teachings of that book. For instance, you know, if you have the thought process that Jesus will come and save you and that you have this thought process that these things must come, talking about wars and rumors of wars, then I started feeling like, man, if people are just sitting at home being happy because they're Christian and that they're going to go to heaven, 
and they believe this book, well, then they, they don't mind when atrocities happen. They don't mind when wars happen because these things must happen and Jesus will eventually come mm. save us. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we quickly got away from the religion and became kind of, I would say, like I don't want to say militant atheists, but I wanted to go in and I wanted to debate every Christian. I wanted to get into forums. I wanted to tell them why they were wrong. And I felt like I had a position coming from inside the religion that I would be able to easily convince them that you know what they believe is wrong. And I also was very into the religion and the fact that I worked in a church office for about five or six years, and so I was buddy-buddy with priests. And I remember asking them uh, numerous times, like, hey, do you talk to God? And they told me, well, I feel his presence. I said, no, no, no. I said, do you talk to God? And they said, well, no. And so hmm. I, said, I just knew right away, like then, I was like, this is kind of weird. How these guys have dedicated their lives to this God that they've never talked to. Also, my mom was the head of liturgy, so she was in charge of all the music. And so I was very involved in the church. I also went to the Philippines when I was uh, 14 years old. I went for World Youth Day, saw the Pope drive his little Pope mobile right in front of my feet. <laughs> Which has bulletproof glass. Uh, right, bulletproof glass, yeah. So that was when it was John Paul II. And uh, yes, yeah, so I went all the way to the Philippines as part of this youth group. And and again, when you go to an event like that, and there's, I think at this event, there were six million people in one place at one time, you just feel that overwhelming kind of feeling of camaraderie with so mm-hmm. many people around you, you all believe the same thing. And so I remember coming home from that at the age of 14 and thinking, man, maybe I want to be a priest. And so I, can, I know from personal experience what religion can do to people. And then to actually discover that it was uh, nothing more than you know words written by men, I was able to feel like I was in a position that I'd be able to debate Christians. So I went into these forums and quickly saw, and I, I can tell you one, one event that really happened that just shocked me. I saw somebody in a forum say, it was like a Facebook forum, and they said, oh, uh, you know, we can prove that the earth is 6,000 years old. Prove to me that it's not. This is a Christian who wrote that. Mm-hmm. And the, fir- the first comment after that was, well, we know by carbon dating that the earth is only, you know, the earth is 4.54 billion years old, blah, 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 blah. Huh. Well, me, wow. I had just been looking into these things, and I knew right away that that was incorrect, that we don't know from carbon that, dating. That's true. That carbon earth- dating can only get you back tens of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Correct. So all I did was respond to him and say, actually, it's, you know, radiometric dating. Carbon dating can only get you back 40,000 years. When I said that, I don't know if people thought that I was defending the Christian position, but all of a sudden, here came 10 or 15 people calling me every name in the book, basically asking me to you know, prove my 6,000-year theory, and I just said, oh, no, no, hold on, guys, I'm, I'm just pointing out that that person didn't say the correct thing. We don't know by... And they just, they wouldn't hear it. They were just like all over me, and I was like, this is really weird. So I, mm-hmm. kind, of, I kind of started to play this role of... I wonder how much these people who defend atheism know about the science. And so I would start to look into different things and really try and know them, like, for instance, chromosome number. When I knew and I looked back and saw that, you know, for 30 years from 1900 to 1930 or around there, they were off by a ton of chromosomes. And so I said, you know, I bet you people think that we count chromosomes like you look in a microscope and you didn't just count them. It's that, it's that simple. And when I started to go and, and get in these forums and mix it up with people, I noticed right away that it was another religion. That none of these people, and I'm not saying I was talking to high-level sure, people. Sure. I get right. the point, yeah. Yeah, so these people were just repeaters, and they were defending science as if it was a religion, and that was basically what started me on my track. Okay, now I have to assume that you are somewhat religious at this point, A, because the organizers mentioned that they are not aware of any atheist Yeah, flat are earthers. you the one atheist flat earther? And, and B, you mentioned that NASA's trying to hide God, so I assume you have some theological views now? I believe that there's a creator. And I believe that this is a created existence. But beyond that, I can't say any anything else. Because here's the thing. A lot of atheists, they took the God that Christians gave them and said, 
well, these Christians are idiots, this God is ridiculous, and therefore there is no God. Well, I don't think that's the logical next step. I think when I look and I see men cannot describe God well, the logical next step is not that there's no God. To me, it would be until proven otherwise, I would say that they're, they've not done a good job of portraying God. Okay. Clearly, the Creator is not someone who would send his son to die on a cross. Clearly, the Creator is not someone who would communicate to people today through people 2,000 years ago through pen and paper. That's what that's how humans communicate with each other through pen and paper, not through God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so then I started saying, well, how would God communicate with me if he wanted to or could? And the only thing I could come up with was would be through my own, I guess you could say soul or your own, your own heart. And I realized that when I grew up, that there was a feeling of right and wrong pretty much inside me. And I've heard a lot of people try and argue against that. But I do think that when you're talking about fundamentally accepted things, I mean, the, the Ten Commandments in my mind are actually kind of kind of decent, even though they're not, I don't think they're given by God. But I do think that they're kind of rules to basically govern your life. Is there more that should be in there? Like, do not rape? Yeah, of course. But I think that for the most part, it's treat others as you would like to be treated. You would never do something to someone else that you wouldn't want done to you. So you don't want to go to your neighbor's house and steal his stuff, because if someone came to your house and stole your stuff, it would piss you off. Okay. So I think... So I think we can operate in that manner, and I do think that if science gave me a better explanation for the origin of the of the world and the earth and everything in it, then that would be evidence I would weigh in. But uh, when I looked into it, uh, I don't think their evidence is anything more than them trying their very best to come up with something that they can say they know. I, okay. That's, that's okay. Okay. That, that, that all sounds fairly reasonable. Before we ask more about you, I just wanted to know, uh, you mentioned you work from home. Do you have any kind of related work that you do uh, or any expertise that would bring to bear on this particular topic? No, just besides I own an online bookstore, we basically, my wife and I had huge book collections, a lot of religious books, I admit that, but a lot of uh, older antique books as well. Oh, you should see and, our shelves. We've got lots of religious okay. books. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. It really helps you. But uh, yeah, no, so it was just owning a bookstore. And we thought we were naive when when I quit my job, which was I was a store manager for a drugstore for 14 years. And when I quit that job, I kind of thought, well, we'll start our own store and we'll start this bookstore. And I kind of pictured like the Internet, like you just put up your store and then people will buy from you and everything will be gravy. But really what happens is you put up your store and if you don't advertise, nobody knows that your site exists and you sure. kind of sit there watching the screen. So I had a lot of time to start looking into things. And that's my only expertise is that I feel like looking at things and trying to really research things to a, and not just settling for what's presented to you. Yeah, you're uh, a curious person. Yeah. Correct. When you were introduced, they were mentioning that at least the host was saying that he doesn't fully agree with you on everything. How would you say that your positions differ from other flat earthers? Oh, because I'm not Christian. Okay. I mean, that's what I was guessing. Yeah, and there's a I have a big problem with that and the fact that um, many of the Christians came aboard because it matches the Bible. And there's a reason for that, and that's, I think, because people who wrote the Bible obviously looked at the world the way it was presented to them. So, of course, they would never say the earth was a ball, and of course, they would never say it was uh, moving or any, because they wouldn't see that. So mm-hmm. they wrote the Bible like they saw. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that the Bible was a flat earth book or could be considered that way. Um, but the problem is, yeah, that I'm not a Christian. So many of them just jumped on board, not because they did any research, not because they did any testing, not because anything other than the fact that, oh, this matches my belief in the Bible. Therefore, I'm now a flat earther. But then they would go into forums and just scream and yell and be belligerent. And that didn't help the So <laughs> the it's much. more your philosophical standpoint than any particular arguments you use for the flat earth. 
Um, yeah, did I, I? I'm vocal about the fact that I'm not a Christian. Okay, it's, they don't like that. Um, now you mentioned sort of what I'm going to summarize as intuition, the sort of the knowledge we all have about good and evil, right and wrong, what we see. So tell me about that. Uh, is intuition the be-all, end-all for how we understand the universe, or are we sometimes wrong about our intuitions? I think we can be wrong. I mean, I you know, if you look at a microscope on your arm, of course, you're going to see things that you would not have seen had you not used that microscope. So mm -hmm. uh, just to say that we trust only our senses would be a mistake. But I also think it's an equal mistake uh, that science all, often uses when they say, well, our, our senses can be tricked and our senses don't always work well. Well, yes, but they're also setting up purposeful deceptions with your senses and then saying that that's a, a trick, you know, that your senses are failing you when they're actually not. I'm sure you've seen the, mm -hmm. the test where they have a guy on the screen who's saying fa, mm -hmm. fa. You've seen that one, right? Right, and then and, bah, bah, bah. Correct. Well, they describe that as your senses failing you. And what's actually happening there is your senses are absolutely correct. It is impossible for someone to mouth the words fa, fa, fa and say ba ba ba. So your senses are telling you, they're screaming at you, that person is not saying what you think they're saying. And yet they're describing that as your senses failing you. They're not. I they're don't think I've seen good. this video. Uh, can someone tell me what's... Yeah, well, you're seeing... There's a particular name for this phenomenon. But yeah, you're seeing a mouth and you're hearing the sound fa, fa, fa. And you... Oh, yeah, that's what the guy is saying. But then when they change the sound to ba, 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 you totally believe he's saying that instead, that the mouth movements work equally well. Our brain then you know, ties what we're hearing into what we're seeing and unifies them. Okay. McGurk effect, I think is what it's called. Thank you, yes. Right, and yeah, if you watch the video, Carrie, yeah, it's basically a guy, but they, they replace the sound that he's actually saying with another sound. Oh, with like ADR, okay. But you see what the guy is saying, not what you're hearing, and that's your senses, in my opinion, doing the correct thing. They're sure. they're telling you it's well, impossible. Well, you no. could frame that with any optical illusion with the dress that some people see as white and gold and some people see as blue and black. You know, it's just weird quirks in our perceptive systems. Uh, and yeah, you could frame it as a glitch or you could frame it as a feature. But I get your point. Yeah, I guess right. I guess I'm struggling with that. I feel like your sense is I mean failing might be too strong a word. Your your senses are trying to act as if that person is there in front of you in real time in which case he couldn't use ADR and re-record over himself. But I mean, your your ear is telling you that you're hearing something that is not happening, right? Correct. But what I'm saying is that that is a, a benefit to you that you would be able to prove by that based on your senses that that person is not saying what he's looks like he's saying. If the person is mouthing something and you're hearing something different, that's why your your senses are telling you that, you're, that something must be wrong, sure. is what well, I'm saying. Well, the underlying point, I think, is just that our brains have to do a lot of legwork to create our sense of reality. I think maybe a more salient example would be that we all have these gaps in our vision, blind spots, and we just fill them in with extra material in our perception. But that all happens in our brain. The hardware doesn't give us that part of the image. Correct. But if you look at our eyes, you know, people fail to realize that our eyes are better than any camera. That as far as the field of view, uh, having two of them and them overlapping so that you can have distance and you can have uh, 3D effects and in depth that people just you know default to this, well, our eyes have blind spots. Well, that's a uh, required necessity of having two eyes that you're going to have that blind spot, but it's much better than having one eye. Well, so, <laughs> well that's not at all the point we're making. I mean, right. uh, you could design a better eye. You could have the octopus type eye where the retina uh, attaches to nerves behind 
the eyeball itself and you don't have to actually punch a hole in the retina to install the, the wires like we have in our eyes. You know, there are better eyes out there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can't disagree with that. I don't know what an octopus sees, but I think that, uh, I guess that you, you know, the way I would word it is that we're fine with these senses that we have, that they do help you, uh, stay alive throughout the entire oh, day, sure. every well, day. Of course. But yeah. that's what, yeah. I, I don't know how you feel about evolution, but you know, you might say that's what we were evolved for is for survival, not necessarily a search for truth, uh, which is inconvenient. Right. And I've actually heard that argument a lot that, yeah, the, because of our evolution, um, I think that definitely there's uh, adaptation, but I, I'm not able to say that evolution is wrong. I don't think that we all came from one, you know, amoeba back in, in long ago. But then again, I don't have the evidence that would tell me that, um, that I'd be able to argue that point. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like you're kind of saying, Jaron, like, it, it sounds like you think that scientists are saying our senses are terrible. And I don't think that's the general consensus. I think it's that th we have limitations. And so we acknowledge those limitations so that when we're trying to look for truth, we know where the gaps might be. Correct. And that and that's fine to say. And I, I don't have a problem with that either. And, and yes, there is optical illusions that they can create that will help point out where your senses fail and where they um, excel. But I think when it comes down to uh, saying, for instance, that we're spinning on the earth or that the earth is flying through space at a certain miles per hour and, you know, these things and then for them to dismiss it by saying, well, your senses fail you in these other ways is not necessarily the, the correct correlation that, um, you, you know, your body is very sensitive to every movement you've basically got a gyroscope-like uh, device in your ears just made out of hairs that allow you to um, keep your, your level view. If you start to move your head left or right, tipping it, you'll notice that the image in front of you stays upright. Yeah, I, it, I mean, I, I think yeah, we'll agree with you. Humans on all are the, amazing. Yeah, humans <laughs> yeah. are definitely but cool designs, animals. wherever that design came from. But uh, you could also point to many ways you can throw off somebody's balance system, vestibular abilities. But I, I get your point, And I think we're just saying that you could kind of paint that in either way. You could point at ways that we could be better in how we're constructed. But uh, if you don't mind, let's move along. I, I wanted to know a bit about your view of the earth, what what it is, what it looks like, kind of what the arrangement is of the continents and what is the sky and everything we see in it. Okay. Well, I mean, the reason that I got onto the whole idea of the flat earth is really just trying to break down everything that I had been told and said, I want to kind of rediscover these things for myself. And it, it really started with seeing a map and the way that they place the equator on the map is always about two thirds of the way down. And that was kind of interesting to me. I said, why, why do all these maps, and I'm talking about a you know, Mercator projection map, um, usually the equator is you know, much further down. They're trying to accentuate the north areas. And that's because, well, I think it's uh, 92 or 93% of population lives in the north, not in the south. So once I saw that, <clears throat> I just said, okay, well, that's interesting. I don't know why they would just teach you the truth about, you know, to put the equator in the middle. But I, then I looked at, you know, the fact that Greenland is much bigger on the Mercator projection. I understand why. Mm -hmm. But I also couldn't understand why they were basically not telling you that in school. You know, they didn't, they didn't tell people, at least that maybe I forgot, but they weren't saying this is a projection. Uh, Greenland is actually much, much smaller, one-fourteenth of the size of Africa, not equal to the size of Africa. So I just had questions about that, and then I started to, and it happened just coincidence that my wife said, do you think the earth could be flat? Uh, she looked outside of our window in our bedroom and said, <clears throat> we had a nice little view out from our bedroom window, and she said, do you think the earth could be flat? And I turned to her and like probably the first time in our marriage said, no, no that's stupid. What you just said was stupid. 
because how do planes go around it? I've flown to the Philippines going uh, west, and you've flown to Germany going east. And I said, you know, it's impossible. The planes can't go around it. And she said, okay, sorry, oh, geez. And I said, we're not starting. When I say we're starting from the beginning, I'm like, there's some fundamental truths. Being, you know, the Earth being a ball is one of them. So it was like two weeks after that that I happened to be looking at the moon landing because I thought that was a big deal to me. I wanted to find out if that could be true or if it was, uh, as the hoaxers call it. So as I was looking into that, I happened to stumble across Eric Dubay's site, and I saw for the first time that azimuthal equidistant map. And I remember just looking at that map, and that was kind of a realization for me that I just called my wife and said something that she was said was stupid two weeks earlier. But I'm looking at this map now, and for the first time I said, but planes can go around it. But it's because I defaulted to this idea in my head of when somebody says flat earth, you think water falling off the edge, the picture of the guy reaching out of the little dome, looking at the stars. So I, I just said, and that wasn't like I became a flat earther then, but I said, I'm going to debunk this and I'm not even going to tell my wife about it because I didn't want to say, oh, you know, I guess planes could go around in this map, but it's still not flat. I just didn't, I was like, I'm just going to debunk this myself. And I kept looking at this map, like, how can I prove this isn't real? And, and I said, oh, okay. Just to yeah. paint a picture for everybody listening along, the azimuthal map you're talking about, that's the one where the North Pole is in the center, and then the continents sort of radiate outward, and you have Antarctica uh, around the edge of this circular disk. Correct. And I may, I may not necessarily uh, believe in that exact layout now, but at the time, the thing was, I'm going to debunk this, and I said, okay, uh, north-south circumnavigation. I said, this clearly on this map isn't possible. You can't go north-south circumnavigation. So I just need to find examples of that, and we're all, we're all cool. Well, in looking for those, I was running into problems, that there's maybe two or three people that have said they've done it. And I don't mean going to the 90-degree mark and turning around. I meant going across the continent of Antarctica and even looking for planes. And then what I found, this is December, I think, 2014. Or I don't remember the exact date. But there's a guy by the name of ZQ Pilot, the letter Z, the letter Q, Pilot. And you can still find him on Facebook. And he was going to try and break the record for the fastest plane flight around the Earth going north-south circumnavigation. So I was really interested in this. And they had these things called spider tracks that were attached to the plane. You know, it took days, so it wasn't like you could watch them online. But I watched uh, his path online and kind of checked in every day. And there was one day where he was in Brazil, and he was going to leave there, and his next stop was New Zealand. And he was going to go from Brazil to New Zealand. And I was very interested in that part of the flight because I said, okay, this will be my first time watching somebody go across the South Pole and disprove this map. But what happened was he got to the 90-degree marker and his plane turned around and went back to Brazil. And I said, well, that – and they even showed what his expected path was. And his expected path was to go across the continent. So when they started asking him questions when he got back, he said the weather got real bad. And so he turned around. And I said, okay, well, I guess he's not going to win the record. But then he flew from Brazil to New Zealand, then New Zealand up to Hawaii, to Alaska, North Pole and back, or to North Carolina where he started, and they gave him the record for north-south circumnavigation. And that was the biggest thing to me. I said, this is horseshit. Why why are they giving him a record for north-south circumnavigation when he just went to the 90-degree marker and came back? And that was probably my biggest clue right at the time to say, okay, I need to look into this. Something is wrong. Something is up. I'm and not, not familiar with that particular example, but that's uh, interesting. I have to look into that. Yeah, ZQ pilot, look at look into it. And if you look at his Facebook, he had all these posts and everything, and he's all. And then when he arrived at home, that's the end of the Facebook. There's no more. He doesn't come back. He doesn't talk. I tried to get a hold of his wife to interview him. Can't get a hold of them. But I think so, you would agree that even on a, a globe, flying over the Antarctic or even Arctic regions are not as easy 
as traveling across more temperate land masses? Um, for the most part, I guess I would disagree with that. Just being that we know that up as high as planes go, the temperature is already negative 75 degrees. It's not, that, it's not colder there because you're flying over cold land. It's the same thing. Okay. The temperature, the but temperature doesn't change at thirty-five thousand feet because you're flying over coldness. There's also no refueling stations or places to land. It's just generally oh, no. not as easy. Yeah, I know. Okay, if that's what you're saying, yes, I t- I agree with that. That uh, you wouldn't want to be flying a, a plane full of two hundred and fifty people over Antarctica with no place to land in case you had trouble. And there right. are land-based, you know, recordings of people going across Antarctica. That I mean, that's happened. But you would just contest that those perhaps are not well enough documented for your satisfaction? Yeah. I mean, you'd have to tell me which one particular. I mean, the one that everyone refers to is the one that Sir Ranul Fiennes did. It took them four and a half years to to do it. And where they started down in the south and they went across, they have video footage of it, which doesn't make any sense because supposedly it was these two guys, but they're being filmed. It's two guys that are going across Antarctica being filmed. They're also filmed when they got to the North Pole and planted the flag there. Again, the camera's moving. Somebody is manning the camera. So actually, two people didn't do it. It would have been two people plus the cameraman. They also have staged staged accidents before, and that's been admitted in court. Because what happened was there was a girl who was told by Renewal Fines to fake an accident for the camera. When she did, she got really injured and then had to go to court and report that uh, she was told to fake an accident. So the same guy that basically... um, him and uh, Tim Burton, I think his name is, these two guys that claim to be the ones that went around the earth are basically actors. They do a lot of things for TV and and they're also friends of the of the Queen and the Prince Charles and you know he's a Freemason and he's got uh, he's <laughs> okay. he's the he's the third baron of of some land. I don't know. They're, this they're, is the uh, Commonwealth Trans Antarctic Expedition you're talking about. There you go. Fifty five yep. to fifty eight. Oh no 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 no. Sorry, that's not the date. The date would have been in nineteen around nineteen eighty. Uh, if you just look up Ranulf, and then it's F-I-E-N-N-E-S, I think. Oh, I see which one you're talking about. Okay, that was the second overland crossing. So yeah, the one I just referred to was in 55 to 58, and that was uh, a land-based crossing of Antarctica. So tell, okay, me, uh, tell me about how, sure. you, how you went from, okay, there might be holes I can't explain in the accounts of you know these expeditions and whatnot, to there's a big conspiracy, a worldwide conspiracy to hide the shape of the earth. Sure. Yeah, I think it, it really started with looking at things the way I thought that they would be. And when I did that and saw things that weren't, and then I went looking at why they weren't, it seemed like, how do you explain it? They had excuses for those things of why, but the excuses weren't good enough. And and the more I thought about it and said, okay, because if I ask these questions of somebody who's a science believer or whatever, they always go back to, well, uh, NASA doesn't have to do that for this reason or that they, uh, the reason that this isn't happened is because it's hard to do it or whatever. But their reasons are always just excuses. They're never good reasons. And the more I kept looking and the more I kept you know, investigating these things, and then I would try and contact them. Like, for instance, I tried to contact the people at the South Pole because if you go to their website, they have webcams of the South Pole that show you the sky. So you're like, oh, cool. I want to see the sun go around in 24 hours to go circle around their head there at the South Pole. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go there, they have webcams and they've got them stored and you can bring them up, but then they cut out every day. So for instance, they'll show the sun go in front of the camera, then it cuts. Then it starts again in front of the camera and cuts. And I said, why isn't there a 24-hour view? What, what, what is that about? So I contacted them and they said, oh, because of the bandwidth that it costs us or the bandwidth that it takes for us to send these images, uh, we cut the camera every day and just do it the way we do it. And I said, yeah, but... Total darkness, okay. No, no, no. To- I'm talking about during the summer. Their summer is total light. Oh, I see. Okay. 
So I said, yeah, but don't you understand that people would rather see uh, six months of full footage rather than 12 months of half-day footage? And they said, oh, well, you know, we, okay, well, sorry, this is the way we do it. And I said, okay, well, can you take some images of the sun going around in 24 hours? And they said, no, it's not in our mission statement. And then I got an argument with them. So your mission statement says that you're supposed to provide things for the public, for the public knowledge. I said, how is there no video from the South Pole of the sun going around where if you put that in, on a videotape and put it in schools, that's proof of the globe? Like, how does that not exist? Now, as I said that, in 2015, late 2015, came out a video uh, of the South Pole of the sun going around. But when you watch that video, the, it lists like the directions on the video, say west, east, you know, as it goes around. And those directions are behind the mountains, which tells you that the video has clearly been edited. That's how that's what you do in an editor. So I, I realized real quick, like, OK, there's a problem here. Why would that? Why would they do that? Uh, just to tell you another thing that I've done recently, I did an FOIA request, my first one, because I found a 2006 spacewalk video where a guy hits a golf ball from the space station. And it really is one of the most crummy looking spacewalks I've ever seen for 2005. I said, why is this so bad? And I said, well, let me find the rest of this spacewalk. So I looked everywhere and I you know, went to every site I could think of, did every search I could. And all that exists is this four minute clip of this Miguel Churkin or whatever his name is. Uh, hitting a golf ball from the what they call the porch of the ISS. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to do a Freedom of Information Act request because my taxes pay for NASA and pay for these spacewalks. Mm -hmm. So I want to do a Freedom of Information Act request for this video footage. Mm -hmm. Well, when I did, they came back with a price of mm -hmm. $1,300. Yep. Um, now, we're talking about 2005. So they're not even storing digital footage because they say they have to get it off the tapes and then they have to have it recorded and put it onto a di digital medium, which I had to send them. I had to send them a... Uh, so I actually did it. Enough of my subscribers agreed that we should uh, take a look and okay. force their hand. So and what happened? Uh, that's still in the process. So I've not received it yet. And we paid $1,300 and $100 for the uh, hard drive. So $1,400. Okay. And we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. But... Uh, it's just been a very difficult process for something that I think is, and not to say that I should have to cause cost NASA money, but I think just a realization that they don't digitally keep uh, their spacewalks just seemed uh, weird to me. And then as well, I went through well, this Well, hang process, on, Jaren. Uh, sure. We're, we're running through so many things. I want to make sure we catch them all. I've submitted a lot of FOIA requests. And typically it takes a long, long time and a lot of money because the thing that you're looking for, while it might feel really important to you, wasn't necessarily really important to the person documenting it. So in this right. example, a guy hitting a golf ball, you know, I mean, I can't imagine that NASA wasn't like, gotta keep that golf ball footage right <laughs> at hand, right? So no, it makes yeah. sense to me. Okay, you know, you got to sick three or four people on this job and it's going to take a few days of their time to just find it. Then they have to transfer it to digital and so on. Yeah, okay, a thousand bucks. That that checks out for me. Okay, and yeah, and there's only been 201 or 202 spacewalks of all time. So I'm looking for the whole spacewalk, not the, the golf shot I can find. But uh, there's only been 200. So I mean, it's not as, as just mm -hmm. throwaway as people would think. 200 spacewalks, you would think that those would be chronicled and registered somewhere. But sure. the problem is that throughout the, the throughout the process, things have changed. When I first asked, they said, okay, we've got these cameras they're looking at. It'll cost this much. Well, then when I agreed to pay, then they came back and said, oh, but there there's some cameras out there that are not uh, in the direction of where these astronauts will be. So if you pay for it, that you'll get footage back that has no astronauts in it. Now, that okay. is strange to me. That, now, sure. So we have, we, have, we, 
We can say that's strange, but it is a bit of a leap, at least, to assume ill will or trying to cover something up. There are other reasons Large that, leap for bu- mankind. that bureaucracy can be slow or inefficient. True. Yeah. And again, okay. like me just saying that and, and then you basically making an excuse for why now it's OK to have astronauts out on the space station, but have no footage of them at all. And that's just now it's OK to say that. But what I'm saying is in every instance, for instance, uh, let me just go back to the ISS. We have a craft that's in orbit of the Earth that's been there for 18 years or 19 years. Can you believe that there is not a 24-7 video camera on the ISS showing the Earth? Does that make any sense to you? And what you're thinking in your head yes. right now, okay, I want to, but I'm going to describe something. The feeling that you feel in your head right now, there's a problem with that if you're trying to make an excuse for it. Because you should, you should recognize that there's no reason why if NASA exists solely on the tax money of Americans. Well, we would not have a 24 7 video camera. I think we've, you've misguessed uh, what the feeling in our heads is, which is more <laughs> like, huh, why Why is this a sticking point for Jaron? It's not for me. Because, well, and we've all seen lots of footage of time lapses of the ISS, like cameras from the ISS passing over the globe and doing full circuits. But you're saying you want just a continuous, solid 24 hour feed? There's 24 hour video cameras on Andy Warhol's grave. That, I mean, that's mm-hmm. how how easy it is to do a 24-7 video camera from anywhere of anything, that it's ridiculously easy. So NASA, what happens on their feed is it cuts out and says, pardon the interruption, we are currently switching cameras. Uh-huh. And, and to me, when you're talking about $52 million a day, NASA gets $52 million a day, more than I'll ever make in, you know, one fiftieth of uh-huh. the amount of money I'll ever make in my life. They make that much a day. And yet they have to stop the camera feed to switch cameras. Okay, that's fine. They also have a blue yeah. screen that comes up that I, says... I, okay, I mean, I, I think we're coming to a fundamental difference here where, you know, you'll take these propositions in your mind of how things should be run and immediately assume a, sort of an ill will or a cover-up. Deception. Well, it took a lot. It, it wasn't just like one or two of these. It takes a ton. And mm-hmm. so... That's why I think my channel is unique in the fact that if you, many people say, which video should I watch of yours? Which one video proves to me that the earth is flat? And I said, I don't have one video that proves that the earth is flat. It's a accumulation of all that I've looked into and all the explanations and excuses for it. Then you start to see that there's a problem. Okay. But I think I, just to address one of your earlier points, I did a just a Google image search for South Pole Sun time lapse, and it brought up a few images of the sun dipping down and then coming back up, and one that shows it kind of making its way. It was shot in Concordia, Antarctica, and shows the sun rising up and down, but never dipping below the horizon. Uh, but you would say those are edited? Well, I don't know which which year were they made. Uh, that's a good question. Let's see if I can find out. Okay. Yeah. And I've I've seen a lot of them. And I do agree with you that the sun dips down. And actually, even if you ask me, I would agree that there is 24 hour daylight in Antarctica. Uh, But as far as 24 hour sun, that's not my current belief. I do not think that the sun is seen for 24 hours in Antarctica, that I think that there is a a lighting effect that does happen. There's proof of that in different ways. But I've never seen a video of the sun circling Antarctica. So I agree that there's, you know, it's not safe to just say because of this one thing, I'm going to believe this. You want to look at all different elements. And when I started to look into astronomy and I started to look into astrophysics, there's just a lot of things that started to pop out as extremely strange. One of those being there's never been a astrophysicist or a cosmogonist or a cosmologist who's ever been to space. 
So we're giving people PhDs. Again, this is pointing to, you know, one small point about, oh, well, they haven't been to space. And that sounds on the surface, you know, oh, that's absurd. Why haven't they been to space? That's what they study. But at the same time, you do realize why it would be very expensive to get people into space. And a molecular biologist has never been in the bloodstream. That doesn't mean they can't study it. (laughs) Well, but yes, and I do agree with that. But I would say that what other branches of science do we do that in? You know, what other science? Well, I just named one. (laughs) <laughs> well, they can't. They can get in the bloodstream. What do you mean? They can cut open a vein and and do whatever they want. Yes, with but a I'm saying like with with I mean with a molecular biologist, you're studying literal molecules. But they can they can actually play with them. They can actually observe them, and they cannot. And, they don't. But they can't get on with, the magic school bus and shrink right. down to and, live and a same blood with vessel. cosmologists. They can observe them from a distance. They use from a distance huge telescopes. Right, just as we use huge microscopes to look at molecules. Okay, and so when you're talking about astrophysicists and these guys, they, they basically have been given books, right, textbooks and uh, various books from the past. And they are told to memorize them, and that's basically where their belief starts, correct? Presumably. I, I, I'm sure it's different from person to person, but yes, I'm sure that's a lot of it. And so when you've given somebody a, a presupposition, so for instance, if you tell somebody that the stars are a certain distance away and that the parallax causes this and, and is evidence of this, well, then when they go out in the field, they've already got a, a presupposition regarding anything they're looking at. I, so, I think you would agree that there are many things that we have to infer uh, that you you can't directly observe everything. And there are many branches of science that require us to put together pieces of what we can observe with our senses. Things that are at incredibly large or incredibly small scales, things that are at very long time lengths or very short time lengths that we have to use instrumentation or even inference to arrive at them. Would you agree with that? Totally. Absolutely. And that's what basically has landed me where I'm at. Okay. Science cannot really prove anything past hypothesis, and people should recognize that and not be taught that science is any kind of definitive answer about anything, because no matter what somebody says they've discovered and is true and is a fact and everything, it can be supplemented or it can be surmounted the next day. But then we would have an explanation for why we were wrong before and why this newer conclusion is based on better evidence and explains what we had thought previously. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so like if I asked you, does mass attract mass? What's the answer to that? Uh, yes. It, but it does. That's well, but that's that was the that was the Newtonian gravity and not the Einsteinian. Oh, but so, but Einsteinian gravity. This is a common misconception. Newtonian mechanics weren't proved incorrect. They were just not as complete as Einstein's synthesis. Well, I almost think they were complete opposite. I mean, if, if well, you no, know, that's Newtonian. I, no one was says a, that. Well, Newtonian is a pulling force, right? Two items of mass pull at each other, and Einsteinian is because of the mass of the Earth. It is pushing space time away from it. It is pushing the fabric of space time, which is causing things to roll towards each other, but it has nothing to do with the two masses of two items. Zero to do. So what I'm saying is that what we what people have failed to realize is that just because something works today or something can be explained mathematically today, things can change. And if science was more seen as that rather than being shamed, if you don't agree with science, you're shamed in today's world. If you don't if you don't go with everything they say, then you're immediately cast aside from society because science has created for itself a very unique religion, in my opinion, which is everything that we say is true. And if we say that it's a fact, it's a fact, and you're not allowed to question it or you're a 
a dumbass, basically. That's fine for some things. Like for things that I can touch and test, then I would, you have every right to agree with them and say that because I do think computer science is correct. Like there's, I can touch my computer and see that it works and I can grab my cell phone and see that it works and I can drive my car and see how it runs. But when you get to space, well, I can't go to Mars. I can't go to the moon. And so when you can't do those things, then you really are dependent on the people telling you how those things work, right? Yes. But if someone has said to you, the conclusions that we've arrived at at this moment in science are unequivocally true across the board, that person is misrepresenting science. Mm -hmm. Science is a set of questions. It's not a set of conclusions. So science tells us how to investigate the world. And I would argue, Jaren, that you are a decent scientist. You're looking at the evidence and you're saying, like, how does this work? And asking good questions where I think maybe you could continue to explore a little more is to say, maybe I can also learn from other people who have these curiosities and these questions, maybe they're not developing this extraordinary lie for me. Maybe they actually want me to know the truth too. And and yeah, and I do have that open mind. And you know, recently on my channel, what I've kind of come to the conclusion of is that you know, talk is cheap. You know, I can't. I guess I got into a little rut for a few months where it was just talking, and I had gotten away from getting out there and 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 discovering and researching and testing. So we currently, are, I'm back into the mode of. Uh, coming up with a test that's going to prove it to me one way or the other. I've got one in mind, and we've got another one that's just kind of come up that people are questioning if that would work or not. Cool. But I think that what care we want to, to do is care to share yeah, any of those sure. ideas. Sure, I'll tell you about the first one that we actually have tried twice, and both times it failed. Not the experiment failed, but the uh, mechanism that we were using to do it. But basically, we found a 3.88 mile canal. Okay, so this is over here in California in the Valley Central Valley. There's a canal, a straight canal, 3.88 miles, and next to it is a road. And the reason that we chose this place is because I said, okay, we wanted to use water as our baseline for what's considered level, but we can't go across water because we keep seeing the same results, which is there is a band of messed up air, if you want to call that the atmosphere right above the water, causes things uh, to either be hidden by that band or to be uh, miraged is you know, a word that they use a lot. Um, so, we, you know, because of refraction or whatever, and we understand that you're looking through, you know, in the whole atmosphere, where is things going to be the junkiest? Well, it's going to be right above the ocean or right above the lake where the air is the murkiest. So we said, okay, well, we, if I want to go next to the water and do that, let's try this canal. So we created these panels. They were about eight foot tall and we cut a six inch circle in the panel at the exact same height from the water on all the panels. So we had a panel of one mile, two miles, three miles, and 3.88 miles from the start point. Mm -hmm. We cut the holes six inches in them and uh, we used an auto level that you put on the road right in front of the panel. It shoots a beam across left and right. And then we had somebody at the water with a 20-foot two-by-four. They stuck it right till it's touching the water surface. And then wherever that red line crosses the little 20-foot uh, two two-by-four, that's where we knew, okay, now this, this height from this laser is exactly you know eight feet from the water surface. And the panel is eight feet and the hole is a foot down. So okay. we were able to get an accurate reading for all these holes six inches all the way down. The reason I finally chose this experiment after all the ones that have been presented and uh, shown to us is because I looked at it as a very definitive result, meaning, okay, if I shoot this laser and I can what we call thread the needle, meaning I can shoot the laser from the starting point and get it to go through each of the holes at six yeah. inches large yeah. and it shoots the backboard, then the earth is flat. And if not, if it hits a board number two mile or three mile higher than the circle, then it's because the earth is curved. Well, when we shoot it, what we saw was that after the second or third board, we were hitting the circle, 
meaning that my beam wasn't staying tight enough. And when it hit the circle, it creates a disturbance pattern, which means that you get snow on the next panel. So we both times we did it, you weren't able to get a result. We weren't seeing a dot like appear above the circle, meaning like, okay, it's clearly a curve. What's happened, then I come to find out, and I had to ask some people, like you said, people with more knowledge than me, and they said, no, that the light, I always thought if we shot the circle and it hit the board, I said, well, at least some of the light gets through. And that's all that mattered to me is that some get through. Well, that's not the way it works. As soon as a light uh, wave hits any part of that circle, then you get a, a d- interference pattern throughout the whole beam. That okay. it's and it, it's instantaneous. It's you know it's not like some light gets through and it made it through before it got interrupted. The way I've heard about it, but it's speed of light, the entire beam would be interrupted because any of it was interrupted. It destroys the whole thing. So what we found was though that recently there is a, a laser that supposedly can keep under a four inch beam over four miles. Now that beam is like or that laser is like twelve thousand dollars. Very expensive, yeah. <laughs> So far, we're just making sure there's no other issues with it. But at this point, with the amount of subscribers I have on YouTube, I know that if something like that could be funded. If okay. I if I determine that that's the one that I want to do. Sounds like a um, good test. And it would be something that I would walk away from. For instance, if we shoot it and the beam hits the third panel two feet higher than the circle and it, we can't thread the needle, then there's no way I could walk away from it. I mean, I guess the first thing I would do is make sure our distances are right off the water. But after that, there's no other excuse I can use bef- besides the earth is curved. Okay, so, cool. So would yeah. you say that? Test. I mean, would Absolutely. You, you would admit to it. Okay. Because okay. yeah. uh, I think if you put that fundraiser up, I think our listeners would probably help you fund that too. Okay, great. Yeah. And that's the plan. The only other one that uh, has been brought to our attention that I kind of like is if you were to take three hot air balloons, and these are the ones with the basket in them, you know, hot air balloons. And uh, put them 15 miles apart, which would give you a total distance from end to end of 30 miles. And have them all, or have the two on the end, go up at about 150 feet in the air and stop either through being roped or, you know, what do you call it, anchored to the ground. And then what you would have is uh, over 30 miles, you're supposed to have a 150-foot hump. So if there was ever a place to do that where people could stand back and observe the three balloons across 30 miles, which is sounds ridiculous and kind of is, but there is some places in the Central Valley where you can be up on like Mount, Mount Hamilton, I think it is, and you can see the Sierra Nevadas across the valley. But on the floor... You, yeah, if, well, valley is the key word there, but sure. Correct. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying is if you got across that valley, and again, we understand that you would have to be have those balloons like it uh, on this, what do you call it, the uh, Sacramento River uh, to where they're level and there's no, you know, they would have to be level all the way across. I'm curious, how would you find the altitude of those two locations 30 miles apart from each other? Do you trust data from Google? Well, that's why I want to ever do everything by water, because I do trust water. Ah, okay. So, I mean, like you guys were 230 feet below sea level at the Salton Sea, All right? right. Hey, yeah, let's get to that test. So sure. uh, we recently talked on one of our episodes about our Salton Sea flat earth test or curved earth test, as you will, out at the Salton Sea that uh, the independent investigations group put together. I was very much involved with that. And, and you had a live feed going up at Jaron? Uh, correct. I was actually supposed to go down there, but my wife got sick the Thursday before. Oh, ah, so I actually here? didn't. So then I said, yeah, she's fine now. Rob but Skiba yeah, was your cameraman. And uh, I think we correct. talked briefly on the feed. Yes, correct. Yep. So nice you. likewise. So uh, you said that you had some critiques or some ideas to offer. What are your thoughts on that test? 
I, I wish I would have done a little bit more of the research before, but I mean, once I saw, you know, I said, okay, well, let me look at this this result and see what's going on. Because I do think that what we're seeing again is a, a column of air that's not very high, you know, maybe 10 feet high off the water. Mm-hmm. And it descends on its way up. And as you get higher, it has less and less atmospheric uh, interference. Um, but I do think that that column above the water would cause things in the distance to not be seen until they got up above that column of water. So my big thing I was trying to get people to do and nobody was really hearing me, which I understand I wasn't there to say it, but I really wanted somebody to see when you saw those balloons, where was the horizontal line on the camera? Meaning if if you're looking kind of up a little bit, well, then that would tell me that the reason you it took that long to see the balloons is because you're actually looking above the distortion and we're waiting till the balloons go above that distortion, that's when you can see them. So sure. that's kind of what I thought about that. And then when I was looking into it, I just saw that the Salton Sea was uh, one of the hottest bodies of water, if you don't count hot springs, that it has you know, bubbling mud from the geothermal activity underneath it, that it sits in that bowl, which causes it to be in one of the hottest areas in the world. I mean, Death Valley is only a few miles or a few hundred miles from there, but it's in the same kind of situation. Death Valley is 220 feet or 280 feet below sea level. It has the record for the hottest temperature in the history of Earth. So you've got uh, basically a, a great location for the Earth to be shown to be a, a, a ball. Wait, so and, unpack that. Why does the heat matter? Well, because with more heat, there's more evaporation. Okay. With more evaporation, there's going right. to be more water molecules with... And then there's also salt water has a higher refractive index than regular water. And that body of water has 30% more salt than the Pacific Ocean. So it's kind of, and I know people were saying, oh, well, yeah, but the water, it, the salt content has disappeared by the time it evaporates. And that's partially true, but it's not, you can't say 100% of the salt is, okay, okay. is out of it. So some of the benefits, though, of the, the salt and sea, and, and it was suggested to me by one of the flat earthers at the meetup group that we had gone to, is that it is locked. It doesn't have any large inlets or outlets, and the tides are known to not be an issue, and it doesn't have any large waves to contend with, and it's just a very wide body of water. So we also designed the protocol to be at the break of dawn and took a while to get the balloons up for a number of reasons, not uh, willful corruption or uh, anything like that. It's just uh, hard to get those balloons in the air for a number of reasons, including wind. But, you know, by the time we did, there was some heat distortion. Absolutely. Uh, But it was still like seven in the morning, a little after. No, yeah, totally. And and, and I'm not saying you guys didn't do the things that you should have done to try and mitigate some of those things. But if it was really about a true investigation, and this is, again, this is just my opinion, but I don't think that you think there's any chance in in the world that the earth could be flat. And that, I could be wrong in that. I'm saying that's my opinion. But I'm saying the same thing would be true of everybody with that organization and everybody with Nat Geo. So if you go into an experiment with that kind of mindset, then you're not looking for how can we make this experiment better? How can we do well, it better on. next time? But yeah, we it, went into humanity fair. with your mindset. All humans okay. thought the earth was flat. Yeah. <laughs> what? We went into humanity with your mindset. All humans thought the earth was flat. And we're looking at the world from that angle and taking in all of this confirming evidence for that and then had to stop and say, hang on, why can't we explain things like ships going over the horizon? No, no, I'm saying, I think maybe you misunderstood what I said. I'm saying that I, I'm talking about you, Ross, independently. You uh, I know. Yeah, okay. Right. And Carrie's it. zooming out and saying. I, I'm saying the same could be said about your position and even more so because no. you're, you're arguing that Ross and the IIG went into this with these preconceived notions that the earth is round. There's no way around it. Sorry, that's it. And then they find confirming evidence for it. Correct. 
Okay, so what I'm saying is it's totally different if I go into an experiment with the preconceived bias that the earth is flat because I believed like you did. Well, I believed like you did for 35 years of my life that the earth was a ball. So it's not the same. It's not like I'm going in and I say, okay, now I believe this, that all of science should be about- I'm not comparing you and Ross, Darren. I'm comparing humanity (laughs) and Ross. I'm saying all humans looked at the horizon for many years and said, oh, the earth is flat, right? So all of humanity had this preconceived notion that the earth was flat, was looking for confirming evidence of that. But it was the evidence was so astronomically against that hypothesis that even though everybody had that preconceived notion, it still got demolished. I don't disagree with that. That is what happened. That's history. But what I'm saying is that when you talk about today, okay. science should be about debunking whatever the current belief is not about confirming it. Uh, let, let, let me respond directly to your point because I think, well, I actually think it's wrong. I, I think we specifically designed the protocol to be considerate of the flat earth ideas, specifically, as you said, mooring the experiment to water. We very much wanted to measure the height of the balloon and the height of the camera directly from the edge of the water. And yeah, if we had seen that balloon show up right when it's on the ground from our vantage point at four feet above the water, that would have been a huge blow to our position. We would have dealt with that huge blow. But no, no, not even a flat earther believed that that was what was going to happen. So I'm saying, why, why would you think something that we <laughs> even say doesn't, wasn't going to happen? Nobody says that you can see across bodies of water to the shore. Well, show me one show me one time somebody said that. Okay, let me paint I think what we saw that day at the experiment and that is that the flat earthers came and very clearly and unabashedly said that nothing would convince them that the earth was curved. And so if the standard is that we demonstrate something that they will agree to as proving the earth is curved, there's no standard that would have satisfied that. And so the best we could do was try to design an experiment across a large expanse of water and be as faithful as we could be to the claims themselves. I I think we were making a good faith effort and we would have been open to being disconfirmed. So if you went back to the same location and did it at night, in the middle of the night, say at midnight or 2 Mm a.m., and you saw something different, what would that tell you? What would would that mean. Oh, yeah. Well, then I, I would have to contend with that uh, that result. Okay. Yeah. And there's some guys down there. I know that they just did a pretest this week that are going to do another test at night uh, just to see if we see something different because the yeah. flatter position is in that case that because the temperature of the lake would be down, the amount of uh, broken up air above it would be less that you will see the balloons much sooner. I'm so planning the, you know, to that's... join them for it. All right, cool. Is it next weekend? Uh, no, it's this week, uh, middle of the week. Uh, oh, okay. Which is not very convenient for me because uh, I have a day job. What What do you feel about that test, Jaron? Do you think that's a decent test? Yeah, if you're if you're saying the Salton Sea is a bad venue, uh, how do you feel about them going back? Well, I think it's good that they would at least be able to show. Now, again, I'm not saying you will be able to see the other side because you still are looking across ten miles of water, and that's going to be the murkiest air that there is around you. But I do think that if it shows something different, which I do think it will, where you'll be seeing that a little bit sooner than you saw it last time. That will be at least a good a good position to go forward 
at least showing, hey, this is the result that you guys got is, when it was daytime. Isn't that a fancy way of saying, though, <laughs> if it comes out with my results, then yes, it's a good experiment. If it doesn't, <laughs> no, it's a bad experiment. Well, no, I mean, if it shows the exact same thing, if it shows the balloons are seen at the exact same height as they were during the day, that would absolutely tell me that my opinion about why we saw it when we did is wrong. Okay, so you're saying it's a good test, and if it comes out on the side of the globe heads, then you will adopt that position? Adopt the position. Well, here's here's the only thing about that, that, I, that I'm trying to find an experiment that is non-optical. And okay, when I'm I say not that, asking. That's oh, not my question. Lasers my are question optical. My question is, is this a good well, test to you? It's a yes, yes. or no question. It's a good yes, test? Yeah, sure. Okay, so if, <laughs> if it comes out on the side of the globe heads, that means... You should say, oh, it was a good test, and I was wrong, right? I will say I was wrong, absolutely. And vice versa. If I if cool. I see the, the balloons or the lights or whatever it may be, then I should say, yeah, okay, that's definitely does not show the curvature getting in the way. Great. Right. Okay. So, cool. We'll find out on Thursday yeah. if the Earth's round or flat. <laughs> well, I'm ultimately trying to find, and when I say non-optical, I know you said lasers are optical, but I'm talking about, and this is goes back to our senses, right? That is it safe completely to, to trust your eyes? Well, we know our eyes are convex lenses and that there's things that could cause things in that. But when you're talking about a laser and threading the needle, that's not your eyes that is causing whatever you're seeing. Somebody well, would be standing at the other end and say the laser went through each hole and hit the backboard or it did not. Okay. So it's not. But let's, uh, let's step back a little bit. When a result shows, for example, the bending of light over the water and it creates that mirage effect, uh, then everybody talks about light bending. So you would agree that light can bend, right? Um, do I agree that light can bend? I'm not sure that I totally believe that. I mean, if you're talking about like- well, What is a mirage then? Is distorted air. Okay. Bending light. Right, because um, because your that's how you see things. Your eyes are picking up light, and when you see a distorted pattern, that means that light has been moved out of its normal path. Yeah, I, I guess that would be that'd pretty be basic. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's, you're seeing through a distorted lens, basically, and so I guess you could say that's the light bending, or your your view is obstructed. So I'm, I'm trying to decide if that means light bent, or if it means that uh, I'm seeing it appear to bend because of the bad air. For instance, if somebody's standing next to the light that you say is being bent, it's not being bent for them. So is light really bending? No. I would still stand by my position. That I think that uh, I'm seeing a mirage because from my perspective, I'm seeing too much through too much atmosphere, which is causing the view of the light to be distorted. The light itself is not distorted because somebody standing where I'm seeing a mirage would not see the same mirage or else I would say the light was bent. That's why I'm seeing bendy light. Okay, but, but you you like deep questions. Ross is asking one more question. What does distortion mean? An interruption in my viewing column. And I, I'm also pointing out that lasers are made out of light. Right. What I'm, what I'm saying is that if, if they tried to say that when I shine a light through each of those six-inch holes mm -hmm. and it hits the backboard, let me, let me pretend that that's the result. If I shot that and then somebody said, oh, the reason for that is because the light is bending with the curvature of the earth, which is you're seeing that. I mean, that's ridiculous because the light wouldn't bend to those each of those six inch holes perfectly, would it? Is that is that would that be your contention? Oh, no, no, no. I was trying to make a small point and I think we've gotten far afield here. I don't think we're disagreeing about anything significant. I was just making a point about these all being optical tests. Uh, which well, they are. Yeah. That's well, why, anyway, that's I'm why just excited because we've all three of us have agreed that this is a good test. Yeah. And so all three of happens. us know that on Thursday, we're going to find out whether the earth is round or flat. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, if it's you don't, not uh, by the way, the, the photo I was referring to in Antarctica was in 2005. I sent you an email link to the page where I found it. It was a time-lapse photo 
And he explains at great detail how he uh, captured that. Beautiful. Uh, take a look. Cool. Beginning this summer, you can listen to new episodes of Inside Pop every other week for an even deeper dive inside the world of pop culture. Now, we're still bringing you our brilliant insight, always on the nose opinions, and insidery inside information on the most interesting pop culture stories of the week. And we'll also have interviews with the pop culture professionals who create the culture you crave. For example, we'll speak to casting directors about how they find the right talent for the right role. We'll talk to music supervisors about how they choose the music to create the right mood. And we'll grill producers who'll discuss what exactly a producer does. Oh man, Sean, how many times has someone said to you, oh, you're a producer, so what do you actually do? So many times. (laughs) Same here. So make sure to catch Inside Pop every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun to indulge your pop culture obsessions. And to hear in-depth interviews from the movers and the shakers in TV, music, film, and more. So you mentioned that the the commonly used flat earth map with the North Pole in the center, you, you don't necessarily think that is still the correct view of the earth. What is your best guess at how the earth is positioned? I think that the earth is, I mean, personally thinks that the earth is all that there is, that there's not, um, that this is it. So when you're talking about as far as the ice wall or, you know, where the ice wall goes yeah. and how each continent goes, I don't think that I know. And until I investigate all that, it's just be impossible. And I guess it was the way I would describe it is if you stumbled across a huge, vast ocean of you know, water and on it were a bunch of continents, if somebody arranged those in a certain, not the continents, but I'm saying if somebody arranged that setup and said it was on a sphere and then had to eliminate certain parts of the water to do so and then presented you with a globe, if someone then said, tell me the way that these continents really are, well, it'd be pretty much impossible. You would have to go back and map the entire thing. Because only the people who made the globe would know. So what is your best guess of how the continents are actually organized? Have we seen a map like your your best conception? I would say they're pretty close to the azimuthal equidistant map. Okay. Um, there might be some small changes. Like Australia is not shaped like it is on the azimuthal equidistant. But again, people who say what shape is it? Well, I wouldn't know that. I would have to map it. So you would say that Australia does exist? Australia exists. Absolutely. Excellent. Hey, all right. We've already found some common ground. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what do you think of the Qantas flights that go from South America to Australia, which should be very difficult to do and take a lot longer on the azimuthal map? So yeah, there's a flight that goes Santiago to uh, Sydney, mm-hmm. and that, that flight going that direction takes like 14 hours, and then going back from Sydney to Santiago takes around 11 Okay. And the reason for that is because they take the jet stream. Well, if you look at the jet stream, the jet stream goes about 175 to 225 miles in that direction. So when you figure that out, either the plane is going 450 miles per hour and basically ignoring the jet stream or it's not there or, you know, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Planes can go much faster. So, so or why do the people on those flights only see ocean below them and not all the continents in between? Continents in between Santiago and Sydney? Right, because in the azimuthal equidistant projection, uh, there's a bunch of continents in the way between those two points. I don't think so. I mean, there's just a... There, that's over ocean. Yeah, I'm looking at an azimuthal equidistant projection right now and okay. looking between Chile, South America, 
and Australia, I'm seeing North America's in between, the North Pole's in between, what? Europe and Russia are in mm-hmm. between those two continents. Yep, uh, I'm Car- looking Carrie's at it looking too. at the same map I am. Now, which map are you looking at? Tell me where I need to go and look at what you're seeing. Cool. We could send it to him via Skype here if you want to look it up on my computer and then oh, yeah. message that, it to him. Sure, yeah, let's do that so we're looking at the same map. He's looking it up right now. Beautiful, beautiful. Do you have any pets, Jaron? I have a dog. <gasps> what kind of dog? He is a, I think he's a miniature pincher and a chihuahua. Oh my gosh, that he must look just like my Ella. What color? Uh, she's mostly black. She has some white, some gold. I'll send you a picture. Hold on. We linked you. Okay, let me look at it here. Skype. Okay, so we're talking from. You're flying from Australia to South America or vice versa. Right. The flight is from Sydney. So you're talking about the very leftmost from the view we're looking at, the very leftmost side of Australia. Okay. And so you would fly out across the water, and I'm sure they would not fly over Mexico or Southern California. They would fly out over the water and then come into the side of South America there. All right. So so now, th- now um, there is some flights that I think, if you look at this map, for instance, most of the flights that leave South America that go to Africa, a lot of them head up and hit London first or hit Dubai first and then drop down to Cape, you know, Cape Horn or whatever. Uh, I forgot the name of the place in Johannesburg rather than just go across the water there. Now, again, those things are not proof, right? They're just other ways of looking at oh, this could be this or it could be that. But I understand those things are not proof. I don't claim that because those flights do that, because then somebody would just say, well, they need to do that because they need to fill up the plane, in which case I don't have an argument for that. You're right. No plane would fly across those that body of water with a half full plane if they can head up and hit London and pick up more people and then fly down. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about the Antarctica circumnavigation races where they have boats go all the way around Antarctica and they do it in 900 nautical miles, which is, I don't know, something like 1,300 regular miles. They go around Antarctica in 1,300 miles? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I You know what? The number I was looking at was the width of the racetrack. So it's 14,000 nautical miles. Okay, but, right. So the Antarctica Cup race travels a total of 14,000 nautical miles, according to the website for the race. But that width going around Antarctica, according to the projection map that we're talking about, should be much larger than the equator, right? Correct. Yeah. And at least, and again, you know, I always encourage people to do their own research. Please don't take my word for it. But when you look into the boats that they use for that race, and you look at the speed that it would take them to go these 14,000 nautical miles, the boats come back at a speed that is far, far below the speed of those boats, usually like four to seven knots. And when you look up those boats in any other situation, they can move at uh, 15 knots. So again, it's just I think more the key is it's tricky water and they have to move around quite a bit to avoid. It's not yeah. uh, oranges to oranges. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But I also think that when you're talking about uh, Captain Cook and these people that uh, you know read some of their books, they they were reporting a ice wall as far as could be seen, and that you know, like Captain Cook, for instance, if you, I don't know if you've read a, a lot about his second journey, is he said he never found a southern continent because. All he kept doing was finding ice that he couldn't get around. Which- uh, sure. Yeah. One, <laughs> one guy didn't get it. But but you're saying now that the boats were going too slowly, but they would have to go super, super fast to get around it on your view of the world. It sounds like you're saying that they were actually going much faster and they lied and said they were going slower. No, it's not lied. Okay. So here's what people fail to realize about the flat earth. If somebody has given you GPS and they've told you where you're located on a globe, 
then if you get in your boat and you travel, the speed of the boat is based on the GPS that's been given to you. It's not based off how fast you're moving through the water because where's your speed if you have a, what about the current? What about the wind? All those things are are actually factored in with the GPS to give you your speed. Ah, so well, you're saying it's a tautology that they're going a lot farther than they think they're going because they're basing their path correct. on. Okay, uh, Wait, but, but, I, but I mean, it should take days more. Yeah, I think at, at their well, it takes it takes a hundred days period. So right, I mean, you, but, it's a long time, but that that's how much. I mean, it's consistent with what they're reporting, and they know, like any boat moving on the water, knows how fast it's going relative to the water. That doesn't. Require GPS? Uh, no, but I mean, you wouldn't know based on currents. So for instance, if there is a circumpolar current, which there is, it's the biggest current in the world, the circumpolar current around the South Pole, you would not know the speed of that because you're moving in that current. So it's not as easy as you might think because you're out in the ocean where you can't see land to your left, you can't see land to your right. And so if that current moves just 10 miles per hour, then that alone, because they think the current they say moves one and a half or one mile per hour, but that alone would make your trip uh, extremely fast and you would never know it. Will you at least admit that the, the measurements from that race are troublesome for that projection map? Absolutely. If everything okay. we're given is true, absolutely. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but Same thing, oh, I'll uh, admit the flights. The flights from Santiago to Ch- yeah. uh, Santiago Tilly to Sydney are a problem if the map that we're given is correct as far as distances. Well, Absolutely. Jaren, the feeling that you're feeling right now where you're <laughs> trying to come up for a just with a justification for why this works, that I should understand trouble that. you. It doesn't trouble me because I want the truth. So it's if somebody shows me proof of the globe, that's going to be the, the best day of my life because it will mean that my 35 years prior were not about believing in something that wasn't true. The problem I have is the things that people try and bring me and say, here, here's proof. They're not proof. They may be proof that supplanted or gives them glory in thinking that they know the truth, but they're not actual proofs of anything. Because if you really want the I don't know, absolute evidence, then why is there no measurement of the ground on Earth doing the things that they say? Now, I, I understand that the Earth is huge, and I understand that we're just you know little minuscule bits on it. But I still think that when you're going to teach first graders something so fundamental, that you there should be better proof than I've been se- I've seen in three and a half years. I mean, even uh, the Foucault pendulum, like I remember learning about that in third grade and being like, oh, yeah, can't explain that. (laughs) That makes sense. You know, I mean, we have great proofs, but you you're saying, no, hang on, hang on. You're saying no to all the things that, you know, are proof to other people and then saying, well, I personally, Jaron, would be convinced by X, Y and Z. Why didn't everybody do that? Well, because all the other things convinced everybody else. But I've looked into all the things. For instance, the Foucault pendulum that you just called proof. The Foucault pendulum, how does it continue to swing? Do you know? I don't, we have, I, I don't know. Gravity. Right. Yeah, I mean. No, 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 no. How does it keep swinging? Like, for instance, anything swinging would be uh, slowed down by the, the friction of the air. So how does the Foucault pendulum continue to swing? Well, it does eventually slow down, yes. Well, they all have a mechanism inside it that keeps it swinging. So, And people don't even realize it's a photovoltaic uh, cell that sits underneath the ball. And as the shadow comes over, it magnetizes the ball and pushes it on its way continuing so and i and i could show you so much proof or evidence too that if you try and buy a Foucault pendulum there's one on amazon right now you can go look at it and then it's six thousand five hundred dollars and with it you can also look on amazon at the pdf which is the instruction guide for the Foucault pendulum so look at that guide and read through it and you will see it tells you to start the thing on its track and if it's not going the correct direction or the correct way to stop it and restart, and then you can adjust the amount of magnetism that's pushing it until it's perfect for you. 
And then you sit it in your classroom and you tell all the children that this vocal pendulum proves that the earth spins. It's crazy the things that people just accept and don't think about. Yeah, but, but if you were manipulating it, then it wouldn't be consistent. It would just, you know, go wonky on a like crazy axis and never, you know, it wouldn't do the thing where it continually pushes everything over in an organized manner. It would based on the sun and moon above you and exactly what, you know, flat earthers believe that there is a motion of the sky above you that would cause a pendulum to swing in a certain direction. But did you know that during an eclipse, that so-called pendulums switch their direction. So that kind of thing, and that's NASA. That's NASA reported. That's NASA admitted. Okay. Why? Why is that kind of thing dismissed in the scientific world? And before we go, I know it's getting close, but I wanted to ask you guys if you would do one experiment for me because I think you guys do a great job of debunking a lot of nonsense, and I agree with all your your conclusions about a lot of things being nonsense. But I think that there's one thing that I found experimentally that I think is not answered for in science that I want you guys to, to test if you could. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. But, uh, but first I just want to answer you. If NASA is reporting that, then they're not dismissing it. But okay, what's the <laughs> experiment? So have you ever done the rice experiment? The Dr. Emoto uh, rice experiment? The Dr. Experiment? Emoto rice experiment? Yeah. Carrie has. Yes, yes I have. And what were the results? It doesn't work. So what did you do? I I took his, I, I literally pulled up his study and followed his methodology to the letter and there was like one of the things I yelled at or whatever. This was a few years ago, so I'm not remembering perfectly. But one of the things I yelled at did mold. One of them didn't at all. One of the things that I said I love you and put a loving thing on, that turned gross. You know, it was just, it was pretty random. Interesting. Okay. I I ask people usually to do that and they've never done it. So yeah, my wife and I did it and just made three jars of cooked rice and uh, sealed them up, and then we added my alarm set on my phone. So every day at around one, we went into the kitchen and told one rice we loved it, the other one it was neutral, so we didn't tell it anything, and the other one we told it we hate it. And within a month, you could start to see the effects. And after two, it was one was crummy and green, and the other one looked like you could eat it. So it was so definitive to me. Now again, that's only once. I did not do it twice. I didn't have a uh, independent variable or a null hypothesis. We can send you the web page. Yep. Carrie did a write up of her experiment. Sure. Yeah. That. Well, I mean, if she already did it. I just thought you guys wouldn't have, hadn't done that yet. Oh, and I oh, thought good, it was interesting. Good recommendation for sure. And maybe we should do it again for the show sometime. Yeah, that'd be fun. We can do more trials. But I wanted to ask you a few questions. Most importantly, is there a dome? Is that a thing? Um, no, I think that our view makes it appear that way. But I don't think that there's like an actual physical glass dome. Is that what you mean? Right. So our senses are no. lying to us. Because what? So our I, senses are lying to us. You said it looks like that, but it's not the case. So we can't necessarily trust our senses. Well, it doesn't look like a glass dome is in the sky. I so you, you don't think there's a hard barrier? Because you no. mentioned that, say, a NASA rocket can shoot up, but you mentioned it cuts the camera always before it hits some certain limit. What is that limit? I think it's where there's not enough air to steer the craft. So I don't think we can leave the Earth because you cannot steer in a a frictionless environment. Why does it take those rockets so long to come back? What are they doing that whole time? Which ones come back? What do you mean? Like, you know, they shoot a rocket up in the air and we all see it fly up in the air and then it comes back days, months later. The rocket comes back? Well, uh, well, okay, the orbiters do, but... Well, if you're talking about the the SpaceX one that comes back and lands, that one never actually goes to space. It goes up and then releases the other one that comes back. Sure, you made a joke about that. They were all excited that it did land. Well, let's not get into that. Okay, continue. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that's another thing. I mean, all their video footage when that thing lands cuts out because they say it interrupts the, the satellite communication from the craft as if they never thought about putting another craft out there, which would not be interrupted by the thing coming down or 
could uh, video it and then show us the video later. But anyway, I think well, that they send again because they're not trying to prove anything to anybody because most <laughs> people aren't worried about this. Right. True, but uh, not a good other, use of money when they're trying to minimize weight on a spacecraft. Uh, no, I, I guess the, the problem that I had with the way that you guys just to kind of close it out, but the way that you looked at my speech and dismissed most of it, kind of like you're dismissing a lot now. I just think that there's so many things that you guys say you want to go out and debunk, but things that match your already preconceived notion, you're not interested in debunking. You don't. You've never been to Antarctica. Well, so. I don't think you'll find anywhere that we said we set out to debunk something. In fact, we yeah, said we the opposite. We don't really use that word. I don't know. Yeah. Where, oh, I didn't know that. that. Okay. So no, I, I mean, to- we really set out to find out what the truth is. And there have been a number of episodes, not, not the majority, but there have been a number where we thought it was one way and it wasn't. And we can use your same argument. You said it was very different that you used to be a globe believer and then you left. We used to be believers in Christianity and we left and we're willing to change again. We're willing to follow evidence wherever it leads. So have you, have you found anything that has made you question the, because I'm assuming you're both atheists now? Yeah, I call myself yeah. an, an agnostic, but yeah, I mean, in practice, I'm an atheist. I don't think there's a God. So has there been anything in your investigations that has made you question that a little or or none at all? Question God's existence? No, just question the whole, yeah, the whole atheistic viewpoint, I guess, because I haven't watched all your episodes. I can admit that really easily. But uh, the ones that I watched were basically, you know, you went to a astrologer, you went to this faith healer, mm-hmm. and usually those things are turning out to not be at all what people say that they are, right? Right. But those aren't okay. tests of God's existence. Those are tests no. of faith healing, etc. So there have definitely been things where we've examined them and then said, oh, shoot, this works better than we thought. So hypnotherapy comes to mind. Laughter yoga mm-hmm. turns out to have like serious physical benefits. I got some I great reading tips from the speed reading class we took, even if I can't read as fast as some people would <laughs> imagine. Yeah. 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 We're, we're totally willing to admit the positive and, and things that we're impressed by when, when we are. So yeah, we, so we, we don't have any preconceived notions, that, but we do have a starting point, of course, and, and metrics well, by good. which we judge things. And I think that one of the only problem that I see that uh, people have fell too far into is the idea of mathematics being perfect or proving reality because math can be a great tool when used correctly and it can help you even think about things that we haven't discovered yet and ways that we could do things. They've been a huge help. But also just because the solar system works mathematically does not prove that the solar system's there. Just like if I gave you the layout of my fake theme park and I gave you all the mathematics of how fast all the rides went and how what distance they are away from each other, that could be mathematically perfect, but the theme park doesn't exist. Well, I so, think the distinction here is that those mathematics make very reliable predictions. Yeah, your theme park would have to be like exerting force on all the rest of the city. And we're like, what is that? What's that about? Oh, maybe there's a theme park that explains all this activity. And I don't see any unified flat Earth model that really explains all of these motions of the various astronomical phenomena. No, but even, you know, the smartest scientists that have ever lived, it took hundreds of years to come up with what we have today. So if it was in any way based off of the incorrect assumptions or if they had faulty foundations, I mean, there's going to be a lot coming out soon about already mistakes that were made in science that they won't admit today that will come out soon enough, for instance. And how will we know about those? Well, it's going to come out when eventually those people die that are trying to protect it, I guess. (laughs) Or because more and better science has been done. Well, yeah, I mean, some of them, how is it going to come out? Like, for instance, these dinosaurs that they're finding with soft tissue in them. Well, what's going to happen with that? Well, I I guess we'll find out. What do you mean what's going to happen with that? Yeah. Well, they're finding that. And then when they they send blind tests to the labs and the labs are coming back with dates of 20 or 30,000 years, 
And then when they find out that they were actually dinosaur bones, they immediately recall the results and tell the people they're not allowed to send any more things there. And science says, no, that's, you, you should have told us that those were dinosaur bones because dinosaur bones cannot be that young. They have to be 67 million years old. That's not science. That is examples of an well, incorrect uh, timeline. Fair fair enough. I, I mean, I don't know enough specifically. Yeah. I've heard of those particular stories, but I don't know enough to comment on them fully. But I would say eventually the, the science will win the day. We'll find out either there's something we didn't know about dinosaurs or the preservation of soft tissues or the testing of them, something. But eventually we'll get a consistent picture and we'll do that by using good science. Right. And I would so, imagine that the scientists in that situation were saying, oh, okay, this this contradicts other evidence that we have. So it could be, it's not positive, but it could be that the tool's faulty, just like you are complaining that there were faulty tools used at the Salton Sea. So, okay, so my last thing, and we can be done, but I just want you to recognize that if there was a deception such as they need this timeline for evolution to be true, they need dinosaurs to be 67 million, million years old, that the problem that would be if people sending in dinosaur bones to be tested were then told your results are wrong, you're not allowed to use this testing anymore, and we're removing your names from these papers and we're pulling your paper down from this site, that that is telling other scientists that don't you dare question the current going belief. Now, whether you see that or not, they're creating a world where everything must be as they have laid it out for you. And so that's the way science works. I mean, just like that's when they found That's not the, the way science yeah, works. It is the way. It is the way. I, th there was a huge, heavy helping of assumptions baked into that description of yours. So, you know, I would want to uh, test your presentation of that story and, and see how much veracity there is to it because I, too, am a questioner. So I would say that there might be more to that story than- That's good. And I always tell people, it. please do your own research. Don't Anything you believe that I say is the dumbest move you can make. I'm just telling people, go look at the WMD map. Look at what- I, scientists are saying about the way that the line that lines up the wmd is the you know the cosmic microwave background that they say is lining up with the tilt of the earth and our equator that dismisses all of known cosmogony that there you cannot have the outskirts of the universe match the earth just doesn't make any sense and there's scientists on on record that are saying that uh, that certainly looks like the earth's the center but they won't allow that kind of science to come out and uh, become mainstream, you have to kind of look and search yourself to find these things and find the scientists that I mean, are willing to stand no, up and say that's happening. No, no one's hiding the cosmic microwave background radiation map from you. They're sharing that up. Anyway, I want to hit on a earlier point. I, I think this is key and important uh, that you've talked about deception. And I feel in your view of the world and in your presentation that you gave at the Flat Earth Conference, there was a real heavy leaning on just massive amounts of deception happening on the part of NASA and the government and even other world governments. They all seem to be in line and religion. Can you talk a bit about that? Why are all these people being so dishonest and what's in it for them? Well, I think a lot less people are being so dishonest than we think rather than simply having a preconceived notion and then they continue that. Just like you said with the boats going around Antarctica, that I'm not saying that the boat captains are being dishonest. They think that they live on a globe, and therefore when they find out how fast they're going, they don't think to themselves, I wonder if I could not live where they say I live. They would never even venture that thought. And when you're talking about higher levels of science, those people would never question because it doesn't make any sense. Why would I go to college for four years and then graduate school for four years to learn a lie? So that's not even a question for them 
of whether or not it's possible that maybe they believe something that's okay, not true. But, but, but that's, let's look that's at the people just who do. not true. I mean, like, what do you mean? He, so, okay, type 1 diabetes. We thought for the longest time that was caused by a gene. It was genetically inherited. Everyone was taught that in medical school. That was the end of the story. Then they discovered, no, wait, there seems to be evidence of a virus having caused this. And everyone was like, huh? You know, and then that scientist had to convince another scientist and another scientist and introduce evidence that was completely contradictory to everything they'd been taught. And now it is mainstream science. Okay, but it was in the same valley that they were already in. What I mean is if something fundamental is found to be incorrect, which in my opinion that is, is fundamental the, genes versus viruses. Okay. And so I'd have to look into that. I don't know enough about that to comment on that. So you're saying that they believed one thing about type one diabetes and then somebody proved that it was completely different than that. Yes. And that's happened a lot of times. Yeah, you could talk about the tectonic plates. That was another example where one person was kind of laughed out of the room, Wegener, you know, that's a ridiculous idea. But eventually, they could see the drifting of continents and layers laid down over years and had to come to the conclusion, oh, shoot, he's right. As improbable as it sounds, all of these continents are floating. And also like Copernicus, <laughs> you know, I mean, there were people who were saying the opposite, you know, the world, everyone thought the world was flat and the people who suggested otherwise were run out of town and or killed. Right. Or the, the earth was in the center of the universe. Yeah. So science has uh, dragged us out of our base assumptions many, many times. Right. And now, now that we are this far along where I think science is making a mistake is they don't want to go back on anything they've ever said and then they have to change it. Like, for instance, the Earth is the center of the universe. There's a lot of evidence that leads to that conclusion. They will always ignore that. Okay, never... so where when did this switch happen from honest science to we figured everything out, we're not going to have an open mind about anything else? About what year do you think that happened? Well, I think in every branch of science, it'd be different. Once they've made a definitive kind of switch from one thing to another, and then they are saying how right they are at that point, then they don't go back over that. So well, that's... you can find that like evolution being once they made the, the call, the evolution is the answer to how life has come to where it is and where it started. They'll never change that. Even if something came up that would just debunk that or they will, uh, the they biggest, will hide that. The biggest awards in science and the biggest headlines are all given to the people who conclusively who, show those ideas to be who, wrong. Who disrupt so, the existing model. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's the problem with that belief. And that's just what Neil deGrasse Tyson goes around saying. It's not real, real fact. Because real fact is money comes for scientists from the government. They get funded to do experiments. So, for instance, if there's a funding to do some sort of evolution experiment, there's nobody out there that is going out and trying to disprove evolutionary science because no government's going to pay for that. There's no funding for it. And no scientist is even going to question that because it's all of their beliefs. So you can think that that's what happens, but it's not. There's no rival scientist who's going out trying to disprove the distance to stars because every scientist that studies the stars came up through astrophysics. There's, there's plenty of examples. Let's give another one. Like Lynn Margulis, she showed that symbionts played a much bigger role in evolutionary history than anyone thought. They all thought it was ridiculous that you have you know, an independent organism that then gets sort of absorbed into a host and then performs a role for it, like chlorophyll got absorbed into what eventually became plants. And everyone laughed that out of the room until the evidence amassed and everyone had to sign on to that. I mean, these shifts happen all the time. Yeah, I don't know if that was a good example. Are you talking about Carl Sagan's ex-wife? No. No. Oh, I thought that's Margulis or whatever her name is. Because that girl was, I mean, shunned in the scientific community until she died. So I thought that that's the one we're talking about. She's the one that came up. You're talking about... She had, some, about she had some wilder ideas. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I just looked that up. You're right. I didn't know she was married to Carl oh, Sagan. That's either. crazy. All right. 
in yeah, that's Carl Sagan's ex-wife. Yeah, well, I mean, she did have yeah. some other loopy ideas, but she was well-respected for her theory that did show to be correct. And then, yeah, she had some other ideas that didn't pan out. A Nikola yeah. Tesla type. Yeah. Well, I think that she was basically, I don't think she was ever really respected. That's what I'm saying is that I think that she was always shunned because she brought up something that was not in the paradigm of science. Now, no, I saw her respected right. at conferences and she was brought in as a speaker. Okay, cool. I, I thought that she was basically always shunned because she basically came I, I mean, outside of the Scientists are a mixed bag. You had Linus Pauling, who was brilliant, and yet he promoted a bunch of vitamin C nonsense. But okay, he was so, still a brilliant scientist. So I don't disagree with you on that, and I do think that science you know, eventually may come to these conclusions. I'm not saying that they won't ever reach these conclusions, because when evidence is presented in the alternative, when they have no choice, then it's just the time that those things come out. But I don't remember what scientist it was. I want to say it was James Clark Maxwell or somebody like that that said the quote that, you know, uh, no science has changed during the the life of the scientist who discovered the previous theory that you always have sure. to wait. Uh, right. I, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll agree to that, but that I think just speaks to the fact that in the end, good science wins out the view right, so, of the world more correctly as it is wins out. I'm not even sure I sign off on that idea, but, but yeah, I mean, cer well, certainly people develop their biases, but science is structured to invite everybody else into the conversation and say, Hey, do you have evidence to the contrary? It is not structured that way. I mean, that is, I love your guys' podcast. I love the things you say. And then you say something like that. And I'm like, man, that is such a believer thing to say. Who's like a believer in a religion. To actually think that science is structured in a way, tell me why when I go to any science website to read a paper, that it's uh -huh. $50 to read that paper. If science is so open for me and for everyone else, why do I have to go through the education system in order to submit a paper? Why is it that the peer review is well, made up of people who already believe the same things? What you're saying is that the uh, Catholic Church is an effective way to iron out what's true and what's not because they've got the uh, College of Cardinals. Well, they're all believers, so they're not going to ever get to the truth. I, I would say you can definitely point to bad actors among scientists who cling to their particular beliefs. But I think the point Carrie's making, and I would agree with, is that science itself, and you would agree on what good science is when you're honestly examining what's out there, asking nature questions, and then paying attention to what it gives you back, and then making theories around that, that that process does eventually cumulatively lead towards better answers, and that as a whole, eventually those answers win out. But yes, we can point to times when people have been unduly silenced, or humans have tried to safeguard their own territories. That's all true. Yeah, you can point to examples of that, but that's not a Just problem. Just as we could point to flat earthers with bad intentions. Right. Sure, and there is. That's, and there's, that's, that's not a problem with too. science. That's a problem with humans and personal politics. Also, if well, you want to put a paper perfect. up, Jaron, there are lots of open access journals that you can put a paper up at. And in fact, this is one of the common criticisms of science is that people have submitted bogus papers that just say like penis, 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 penis over and over <laughs> to test. Or is anybody actually checking these and making sure that no nonsense gets through? And it turns out no matter who wants to say it, you can get it up on a journal. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, no, but we it is agree. The, I agree it is a problem, but it is the oh, okay. opposite problem of what you just posited, which is that you could not get a paper up on a journal because you are not part of academia. Well, getting it up on a journal and having it looked at seriously are, are two different things. I mean, I would be interested in real science getting actually looked at by real scientists rather than dismissed. Just because when you describe it as bad actors, the problem I have with that is I'm not saying that any of the scientists are willfully doing anything other than they've come up through the system, they believe what they believe is the truth, and so anything that somebody says that's outside of that 
the initial decision is to dismiss it. And we know that that's human nature. You just said that humans are that way, and I totally agree. And I think people have dismissed or removed the fact that scientists are human. They forget that there's no yeah. scientific test anywhere, anytime that can prove something without a human looking at it and interpreting the results. Uh, no one so, forgets that. Though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think we've accounted for that. I think we're just saying that as you zoom out, eventually you do arrive at truth because those people die off. Uh, okay, other, so other people- Or you get closer in, and closer to indip- truth. Right, exactly. It's never, well, you that's never what flat arrive earth, at a- that's, what, that's what Flat Earth is starting to point out. And if people, so right now when somebody tells you that boats don't go over the edge, they don't go over the curve, you're going to immediately dismiss that as being ridiculous because you know that boats go over the curve. I mean, you can but keep I'm- saying that, Jaron, but we wouldn't. I mean, <laughs> we're telling you, we will show up. We it, Ross went yeah. to a test to see if those data points would come up. They didn't. What didn't come up? What do you mean? There was no data to substantiate the flat earth theory. Yeah, for, for whatever peccadillos one might have about reflections or the heat on the lake, we did not see anything inconsistent with the curvature of the earth. Okay. And so when you go back, if you do see something different, hopefully that that tells you that things aren't always consistent. I mean, there's places like the peaks of Kanagao that can be seen from 175 miles which should be four or 5,000 feet below the curve. I mean, that's nearly a mile that we're believing that things are being refracted and lifted up. And it's not a mirage. It's not wavy. It's not um, towering. It's not, stu- you know, all the different things. They, what do they call it with the S? Uh, Superior mirage? No, the thing went, oh, looming. Sorry, it didn't start with an S, obviously, looming. Those things are not, are not consistent with the globe, the things that we're seeing. Observations that can be seen all over the world. And they will continue to come out. And that's why I'm not um, nervous or afraid that, uh, you know, the truth won't come out. It will come out. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, but uh, it's just going to take people being open-minded to other things that are not currently accepted. And that's my whole, my whole thing is I think too many people have, uh, and I think the reason why is because I almost did it. They've left religion because religion is ridiculous. Religion is a control mechanism. It's lies. And when you go over to science, sometimes I feel people just become fans of science because what it allows people to do, and I said this in my speech and I know you guys didn't like it, but it really does allow stupid people to act smart. They can go into forums and they can just say science, 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 and they can uh, feel really good about themselves and go to YouTube comments and say science, science, science. They don't know anything about what they're talking about, but it allows them to feel smart. And then when science- Let me agree with that point. Uh, I think many people do take a very lazy- position. And it is hard to have mastery of everything. So when someone presents you with something you've never heard before, it's difficult to respond on the the spot. And the correct answer should be, oh, I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Uh, we don't I, always I do that. that. But but I, I think you would have to agree on the flatter side, there are many people who will just uh, grab for the first Google search or YouTube search and post a you know half hour or two hour long video as their response rather than actually engaging with the ideas. I think it's actually worse than the than the science side. So you're absolutely right. Okay, that, um, appreciate that. Yeah. Cool. Yep. It is actually worse. Well, we've kept you longer than we we said we would. <laughs> I, I have so many more questions I could ask you. Uh, I've enjoyed this back and forth. Yes. Th- thank you for all your time and for really giving us a spirited conversation. This was really fun. All right. Yeah. And if you guys ever want to talk more, just let me know because I've got a radio show that I do on Monday nights and you guys are welcome to join me anytime. Oh, thank oh, you. Of course. Well, uh, again, really appreciate it, Jaron. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our editor is Victor Figueroa. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash onrec, O-N-R-A-C. You'll find pictures, you'll find articles, you'll find videos, all kinds of fun things. Well, you'll find links to Jaron's stuff. We'll put that up. And you can follow us on Twitter at Ono Podcast. And remember... 
Uh, water always lies level, and they tell you things pull to the center of the Earth. Find the proof of that first. Find the proof of water curving, and then you can believe in the globe. Paula Poundstone. And I'm Adam Felber. Adam, I haven't gotten one thing done today. Well, let me see your to-do list. Ah, yeah. Well, here. Make 30-second promo for Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, so at least you're getting that done. Score! Except you haven't said what the show is about. We're like a comedy field guide to life, starring me and you. I give useful advice, and we have real experts to talk about things like how to keep a friend, or what to do when you encounter a bear. Bully for you, but you haven't said where people can find the show. Oh, MaximumFun.org or wherever you find your podcasts. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.